Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Shared Ireland podcast. I hope all our listeners are keeping well in these strange and uncertain times. So our guest today has a surname known to most in Ireland and I dare say across the world. He's a twin, his brother followed their father into the world of politics and our guest today followed his father into the world of religion. It gives Shared Ireland great pleasure to welcome along Reverend Kyle Paisley. Welcome to the Shared Ireland podcast, Kyle. Thank you very much. Kyle, um, I once read something um, that, and you described yourself as an Irish man living in England. Um, could you elaborate on your choice of words there? And I suppose I'm referring particularly to the Irish man, but given that yes. most people from a unionist background traditionally would use the term Northern Ireland, but you decided to use the words, um, and that's why it jumped out at me, you're an Irish man living in England. Yes. Well, um, one thing I've never forgotten in all the years I've been here, and that is my roots. Now, sometimes I describe myself as an Ulster man, because I grew up in in Northern Ireland, um, the six counties of of, of present-day Ulster. Yeah. but there, there are definitely Irish roots there, and uh, being that being the land of my birth, yes, um, I, you could de- I could describe myself as a Northern Irish man, an Ulster man. I wanted to be more local about it, yeah. or an Irish man. But there, there are Irish traits there, and we don't, we don't have, um, as it's been said before, folk that are born and brought up there don't have, don't take all their traits from, uh, let's say, from Scotland, where many of the settlers came from. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that regard, I would say I was Irish because that's that is that's the land of my birth. Yes, understood, understood. No, I, I it's something that jumped out at me, and I, I think we all um, get too hung up on um, identity at times, and we all get too hung up on certain phrases and words that we use. So I thought that was actually very nice the way that you described that an Irish man living in England. Uh, yes, and it's interesting because in England they don't really uh, differentiate between somebody that's from Northern Ireland or something <laughs> from the south of Ireland. You, you know, wherever you're from in Ireland, whether even even if it, even if the part you're from is, belongs to the United Kingdom, you're still Irish as far as folk in the mainland are concerned. And I mean, the p- terms here are not as politically loaded as it would be back home. Yeah, just on that, Kyle, do do you ever or have you ever found yourself? you know, possibly, you know, being discriminated against because of your Irish accent. You know, people obviously know that you're you're not English, you know, that you come from the island of Ireland. Um, did, did you ever find any backlash from that throughout your years living in England? No, I haven't actually, and uh, some may have, uh, and it may just be the part of England they've been in, maybe, maybe one of the, and maybe... You know, some other parts mm-hmm. that folk have settled down and they might have found that. I haven't found that here. That's good. Um, they seldom bring up. Folk will seldom. I think only once ever when I was doing, like, visitation, church visitation, door-to-door visitation, did the subject of Ireland ever come up. And I never I never prompted it. And once it was brought up, I tried to side- sidestep it because yeah. it wasn't a purpose to talk about my political background, you know. Of course not. Of course not. Kyle, um... I suppose we always like to start off these podcasts just in case anyone wouldn't be overly familiar with you or any of our guests. Um, 
always like to ask our guests to, I suppose, paint a picture of their childhood and maybe what helped shape your thinking as an adult. Um, so, you know, if you wouldn't mind in your own words, you can go with this where, wherever you choose to. Okay. Uh, well, I had a, a, I had a privileged background. I don't mean financially privileged background, but I had the privilege of having parents who uh, were firm believers mm-hmm. in, in the God of the Bible. Yeah. And uh, they sought to teach me and show me the right way. And uh, from a very early age, you know, I was acquainted with the simple, the simple gospel, um, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and that certainly had the, you know, a profound impact on me in my early days. Although I have to say, you know, even though I did make a profession of the Christian faith when I was, before I reached, uh, before I was even ten, you know, was when I was a lot younger than that. The, the whole thing, I could say, or Jesus Christ, I could say, meant far more to me when I got into my early teens, mm-hmm. when I really went through a, 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 what I would describe as a genuine conversion experience. Um, and uh, that had an influence on me very to, to the present day. Had that not happened, perhaps, um, I might not be here today or be doing the sort of thing I'm doing today. Kyle, can I just, maybe if you don't mind, just would you mind fleshing that particular aspect out a little bit more for the benefit of our listeners that you went through a genuine conversion experience in your early teens. Yes. Well, yes. It did. How did that manifest itself? Do you mind me asking? Well, you know, I don't mind you asking. I'd be happy to say. Um, as I said earlier, you know, I, I, I knew the gospel from an early age. And um, as a youngster, I'd, uh, I'd said on one occasion that I put my faith in the Son of God. But um, in, in my early teens, very early teens, 13 or 14, I went through a long period of self-doubt. Um, was it, could, how could I actually be sure, in other words, that, um, that my sins had been forgiven? Um, how could I actually be sure, you know, that, that salvation was a certain thing to me? And, 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 and I suppose, coming from my point of view, um, and I'm, I suppose, deliberately trying to be naive here nearly is that yes. how did you convince yourself or what proof were you given that that i suppose put you across the line well that's a good way of putting it the thing that convinced me was one time one day after a long i mean i went at sleepless nights with with anxiety over it on one occasion actually i was brought home from school early it was really i would say it was a dark enough period in my own life um and uh, my father, I remember him taking me, and my mother took me aside to talk gently with me and to show me uh, from the scriptures where I could have comfort and hope. And they'd done that on a number of occasions, and these pairs of doubt had flared up. And then one day my dad took me aside, and, and he showed me a verse, and he said, when I was your age, he said, I went through exactly the same experience you're going through now. And he said, this was the verse that gave me peace. Uh-huh. It's a little gospel verse. Jesus says, him that comes to me, I will know why he's passed out. And he said, what you've got to do, he says, is just say, sink or swim, heaven or hell, just take God at his word and let that sink in, what Jesus said, if you come to me, I'll never cast you away. And once I sat alone with that and let that verse sink down into my heart, then all the doubts, all the worries, all of that completely disappeared. And it was, <laughs> I was like the cat that got the cream. Then I was a very happy individual. And what age were you, Kyle, can I ask? 
Uh, 13 or 14, I think, at the time. Yeah. So, so I suppose, you know, from an early age then, um, one of my questions later on in this interview was going to be um, your, your twin brother, Ian, obviously followed your late father into the arena of politics. You chose um, your father's other, um, well, I suppose passion isn't the right word, but um, uh, calling into religion. So politics was never going to be for you at, from an early age. It was always going to be religion, Kyle. Is that fair? Uh, well, I did have an interest in politics. Um, I did. I mean, on occasions, I would, joy, I would join with my dad when he was in North Antrim and, you know, we're leafleting areas, dropping handles through mm-hmm. doors and that yeah. kind of thing. I did have a little bit of an interest, but um, not the same yeah. degree of interest that I had in, 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 in the Bible and church life and, that, and Christianity in general, you know. At, at what age, Kyle, did you move to England? I moved to England when I was 24. 24, okay. And did you go there specifically to take up a religious post or did you go there and then found your way into um, your, I suppose, reverence? Right, well, I, I, yeah, I went specifically to take up the post here in the church. I'd made up my mind that when I'd finished the end of my training, like, I don't care where the first door of opportunity opens. I just go through it, you know, yeah. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It could have been England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, or some other parts of the world. Yeah. But at the first opening here, and it came, I think it was March 1991, and then May 1991. Mm-hmm. And then after that, the, the, the congregation decided they'll give, they'll give me a chance. Yes, so very good. I've been, I've been here since. You've been here since. And do you think, is England now your home, or would you ever see... Um, you know, into the future where you would potentially come back and settle down in your native uh, county? I'm not sure. I um, I mean, I'm very settled here. And the longer you're here, the deeper your roots go, in yes. a sense. There is a, there is a, there is, so I still obviously have a, a, a love for the place where I was brought up because family are there, you know, mm-hmm. but I don't feel, I don't feel any urge to take up a ministry there. Um, and I think I said on one occasion before, I've, I've had friends from England who've gone over on a fairly regular place, a very regular basis, and done evangelism and Bible distribution in the Irish Republic. And they said, from their experience, at least from their experience, uh, that that part of the world is far more open than some places in Northern Ireland. I, I don't know. That's that's just their experience. So maybe, you know, if I did go anywhere, it, for all I know, it could be... Republic of Ireland, but I've no, I've no real I've no real desire to get up and leave. I don't really feel any urge or any leading, you yes. know. So well, I think um, you would be a very welcome addition back to your native shores again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I have heard that that um, potentially the people in Southern Ireland and twenty six counties are it's a very diverse multicultural sort of um background now with people from all over the world and all different faiths and um different views on life and um you know i suppose the old days of the catholic church basically um ruling the country um are are gone you know so um people are potentially open to different different i suppose different ways of life and and looking at different aspects of religion even you know uh-huh. uh-huh. Well, it would be. I mean, I remember, I remember another quote I was given years ago was from this well-known English Baptist. He was a Victorian Baptist called Spurgeon. 
and he said to his sons, he said, you never go, never go anywhere unless God compels you to go. So unless I, unless I was kind of circumstances or whatever compelled me, mm-hmm. I think I'll, I think I'll just stay, I just stay here in England's green and pleasant land. <laughs> and, and, and I'm assuming you, you, you do travel back and forward to visit your mum and family on, on a regular basis. Oh, I do, I do travel back fairly regularly. Oh, because of this, the dreaded lurgy outside there, it's kind of been a hindrance. Of course, yeah. of course. Kyle, through the media and the history books, we know much about your late father, Reverend Ian Paisley, the politician. Tell me about Ian Paisley, your father, if you don't mind. Well, my dad, despite all the busyness of his life, um, with duties in church, a large congregation to take care of, and then duties in Westminster and then political duties at home. He always, somehow, he always made time for for all of us. And um, I, I made a kind of a, give you a kind of illustration of that earlier. I was talking about my, my conversion. Yes. And um, he always made time for us. If we had difficulties, we could always go. He never was too busy that he that he didn't spend time with us and, and take time talking to us about our interests mm-hmm. and our needs. And he's actually a very quiet man in many regards at home. Right, that may that that may surprise a few of our listeners <laughs> in the yes. be, in the best possible way, of course. Yes, well, it's an interesting thing because you see one side of a person when they're on camera about one kind of issue, and oh. a lot of folk I find initially anyway, there are folk here that I I, I knew and loved very well, mm-hmm. and the, all they all they got really here in mainland Britain was was uh, the. the you know the political side of my father mm-hmm. and the, the controversial days before things started to settle down a little yeah so yeah, that's thrown at them constantly mm-hmm. and it's not you know sometimes stories about men and and, and uh are, are spun just a little and so man's only as good as the information he gets but those in the know those on the inside mm-hmm. open the family they see the other side yeah yeah absolutely Kel, they say behind every great man, there's an even greater woman. And in your yes. father's case, this lady was ailing your mother, of course. Yes. Um, you, your mum continues to make an influential impact whenever she gives media interviews. And okay. I suppose I've just a wee um, passage. In 2019, she suggested that a united Ireland would be acceptable if there was freedom of religion. And I suppose my question to you, Kel, would be, would your views on this align with your mother's? Well, if there was a if there was a United Ireland, it would have, have to obviously be by consent of the people. Yeah, and, and um, you know, un, unless people in Northern Ireland want it, you know, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll always be I'll always be a, a unionist, but if if the ballot box and the people in the north overwhelmingly supported supported Northern Ireland, I couldn't do anything about it. And mm-hmm. I would have to, if I was living there, certainly I would have to just run with it and make the most of it, and mm-hmm. and hope and pray that there that there would be um, freedoms. However, my view of the thing is really is really simple because I think. Despite all that United Ireland and those that are pro-United Ireland can promise, it's still, with all that, it's an unknown quantity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, despite the fact that the British system has plenty of mistakes, mm-hmm. everybody knows about them. And my view is it's, it's better to stick with what you've got and try and improve it. Mm-hmm. As the old saying, you know, better the devil you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Kyle, just, I suppose, sticking with this point, what would your fear 
be now and I, and I guess fear maybe isn't the right word here but what would your you fear most in the event of a successful border poll by pro united islanders well for people living along the border of course who suffered a great deal during the troubles mm-hmm. it would be i'd be anxious that for them in particular i mean it, in one way it doesn't affect me because i'm living here but as I can't forget my roots, you'd have to think about the people there. And mm-hmm. they, they, I, I would be anxious that, you know, people that were, were pushing for it wouldn't push them out. Because, you know, when, I, and when Ireland was um, partitioned, I think they, I'm just going roughly statistically wise, yeah. I think the Protestant population in the South was about, the Republic was about 10%. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, it's, it's markedly lower than that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, though, I'm not saying the 8% were obviously ethnically cleansed or wiped out, you know, by violence, but that has that that dropped, mm-hmm. you know, considerably. So I, I think maybe they may feel, Protestants or Unionists may feel themselves... Marginalised. Yeah, mar- mm-hmm. marginalised and maybe absorbed. And mm-hmm. maybe uh, with all of that, you know, a loss of identity. Mm-hmm. And And I suppose, you know... The loss of anyone's identity is obviously very precious to them. So, you know, and, and I appreciate you have now made a life in, in England, so I accept that. But uh, as as we, we know, you still have family, friends, and you do come back here on a regular basis. But, like, what as you would say, Kyle, what would be, you know, one, two, or three of the major things that you would need to see potentially written into a constitution you know would it be what sort of rights that you you know would you need to see enshrined in stone for the unionist community in the event of uh, an all-ireland mm-hmm. well of course the, the two freedoms that would come to mind essentially would be religious freedom mm-hmm. and political freedom and, um, and and what would political freedom look like yeah well, it wouldn't. It certainly. It's, it's a good question. It certainly wouldn't look like what it, it looks like today. I mean, I think there there are those that who, who are for a, a, an All Ireland Republic that that probably would grant um, unionists um, a political freedom such as they have today. But even with that, I think unionism will always have the association of union with the United Kingdom, and once the United Kingdom goes, it's kind of. You're kind of an as a unionist, I would feel in kind of limbo. Mm-hmm. But but Kyle, there is a great possibility that Scotland will will be the, at the forefront of breaking up the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. So so how would that make you feel as as a unionist? I wouldn't I wouldn't like it, but I mean, if if they if they had a legitimate vote. Um, the the majority of the people, the overwhelming majority of the people in Scotland voted Lee. What can you do about it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, the union has its imperfections, and so any political union will have its imperfections, mm-hmm. uh, undoubtedly. And um, the, the older a union gets, probably the more mistakes it makes. You know, mm-hmm. but um, I, I think I think it's better to work at it and to make it. To, to work for unions, to work at the union and, and sell it if they can, because, but it's a hard thing when people are set in the opposite direction, mm-hmm. you know, it's very hard to persuade one way or the other. Do, do you see, Kyle, like what, what we're doing here in the shared Ireland, 
um, podcast and, and talking to people like yourself, people from all backgrounds and all political parties and civic society, academia. And I suppose what we're trying to do is have a conversation and flesh out, you know, the pros um, and, and, you know, people's fears, their aspirations. Um, now, there is a fairly decent movement, for want of a better word, um, yes. springing up. There's groups like Ireland's Future. There's our own. You have Professor Colin Harvey. You have the Irish government recently, a couple of days ago there. Um, yes. um, Michael Martin launched the new Shared Island uh, unit. And there, there's an awful lot of talk um, since 2016, particularly since the Brexit vote, um, about you know a possible way for Ireland to get back into the EU would have one island, and the EU have actually offered that as a as a prize for want of a better word again. Um, if that was the case, there'd be automatic re-entry. Um, so so the momentum behind this conversation has has certainly um, taken up a, a, a lot of momentum over the recent years. Would it be fair to say? As a, as a nationalist that I am, would it be fair to say that unionists need to start having these conversations to convince the, the general public that the union is the best um, is, is the best way to remain because you know the conversation is now as you even alluded to there is all about you know talking about what a new Ireland would look like. So I think unionism would need to you know, would need to start shouting a little louder here and start showing us the benefits of why remaining in the union is the best course of action. Would you agree with that or maybe not? Oh, yeah, definitely. You've got to always be selling your product, as yeah. you say. And, um, you know, unionism has had its ups and downs and it's had a lot of problems. And um, you, you can't just say the status quo in a sense. I mean, you, you know... You, you, you like it or lump it kind of attitude. You've got to go out there and sell it and, and make it attractive to people. Mm -hmm. So like every stop to make it attractive because for some it isn't obviously attractive. Yeah. And for, for some there's always some in the middle that could be convinced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, su I suppose from, from you know, uh, a nationalist point of view, if as we approach the centenary of Northern Ireland, uh, the north of Ireland, whatever you want to call it. Um, yes. You know, for a lot of nationalists, they look back, even though they, they weren't born, obviously, 100 years ago, but, you know, the the history books are there for us all to read. Um, you know, if we do look back on, on the six-county state, um, yes. and, you know, it, it didn't serve the entire population equally. Would you accept that? Oh, there were, there were, there were certainly. I mean, my own father's on record as saying that the people were uh, were discriminated against. You know, people that were not unionists or nationalists were discriminated against. Mm -hmm. And in fact, in fact, it's also it's also the case um, on a different level, but it's discrimination nonetheless. It's some of the early Free Presbyterians in Northern Ireland because they weren't uh, <laughs> they weren't and they they weren't exactly the. Um, the bees and knees for the unionist mm -hmm. Protestant church establishment that they were kind of castigated so it didn't serve it didn't serve everybody equally but mm -hmm. um, that can be improved you know mm -hmm. and it's a pity they hadn't taken I, I had read something years ago about, about Car Lord Carson and he told the founders of Northern Ireland that you know here you have in one corner of the island 
he said you have people who were once in the majority and they now find themselves in the minority mm -hmm. so treat them the way they should be treated treat mm -hmm. them uh, properly mm -hmm. and of course when you don't treat people properly you're not you're not you're not selling your union very well yeah 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 and i, I suppose you know that is still, you know, unfortunately, like most human beings, we, we do tend to look at our past and yeah. potentially we should look more to the future. But yes. I, I, I suppose, you know, in this particular subject, um, we, we do um, look at the, the how, you know, one section of the, the community was maybe treated uh, this yes. past hundred years. And I suppose then to try and be more positive, if we want to look for the next hundred years, I suppose that's what my vision of a new shared Ireland would be. It would be an Ireland where everyone would have equal rights, where everyone would not be discriminated on, regardless of political or religious uh, choice. You know, one that you're you're free to express yourself uh, without, um, you know, without being persecuted over it. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I might. I would obviously, as you, as you know, being a unionist would like um, um, Northern Ireland to stay with the union. But I think that you, you can't just go on in the same way we're going. You, if you can, if you can unite, you, I, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any chance, really, from where I'm coming from, of, of getting thirty-two counties united when folk in the north of Ireland, Northern Ireland, or whatever, are, are divided. And I think there can be a kind of union, in a sense, if you get people in Northern Ireland united without necessarily a political union with the, with the Republic, if you could get them united and good, neighbourly, better neighbourly relationships between the two countries, you have a kind of union, if you like. Kyle, in your opinion, just picking up on what you said there, what mm -hmm. is the reason why the North of Ireland isn't working to its full extent? Is it is it too naive to say that the DUP and Sinn Féin will will never agree to to agree? <laughs> you know what, what what is the main obstacle in your point of view? Well, I, I think I think obviously the first thing that springs to mind is the troubles will always cast a, a long shadow over what political developments in Northern Ireland. However, having said that, when we look back, and it's not. It's just about 10 years ago, isn't it, that Stormont was uh, re-established, or 13 years ago, whenever it was. There, there, there were definite signs of hope, uh, definite signs of hope. And I wasn't there that often in that year when my father and Martin McGuinness were in office together. But the times I visited, you could tell that there was a better atmosphere. You could feel it. And what I think, the reason really I think that Northern Ireland doesn't seem to be working today politically is... And I think on both sides that people have lost the kind of subtlety and leadership that there was once there. And I think that's a major stumbling block. I think I think it's very interesting that you used the word proper leadership. And you referred to the time that your late father, God rest him, and Martin McGuinness, God rest him, were um, joint and uh, joint uh, first Minister and First Minister, um, they, they were affectionately referred to as the Chuckle Brothers. And yes. and I think that that was a massive compliment, you know, paid to both of them. Because, you know, from two people politically coming from, you know, polar opposites, um, you know, I think they did genuinely show 
the rest of us living here, what could be achieved if you were prepared to. And I think that's the point. If if you're prepared to go that extra mile and, and, and maybe walk a mile in your opponent's shoes and for them to do the same, um, there, there's an awful lot of common ground that, that, that we obviously have here. Um, but it's, it's having the willingness to open your mind, I guess, to do that. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing. I mean, you can always find... I don't think for the form of government necessarily, the system of government in Northern Ireland isn't necessarily to blame. I mean, like any system, it will have its flaws. But I think whatever form of government you have, if people haven't got the heart and soul and will to work it, it's always going to be, be travelling along a bumpy road. Mm-hmm. Um, although, you know... <laughs> If things can be done, my, the more I think about it, though, the more I think, you know, if people, just taking from a Christian perspective, if people aren't reconciled to their maker, it's very hard to reconcile them to one another, you know, and um, it's not impossible, but, you know, if a man is right with his maker, he can, he can, you know, and he realises if his, if his offences against his maker have been forgiven by the offended party, what can you not do in your, your relationship with ordinary human beings? Mm-hmm. Because we're all sinners, we all need the grace of God, and we can all show the grace of God when we've received it for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Kel, obviously uh, this interview is with Kel Paisley, so I don't want to be referring to your late father or nothing, but I, I suppose, you know, uh, the stature of the man and the legacy that, that he left, you know, um, particularly that you're a son, it's hard not to um, mention him just an odd time. But yes, yes. but but on, on on the subject that we, we just spoke about there, about um, himself and Martin McGuinness, you know, right. how did you and your family, you know, I suppose what I'm trying to say is, were, were you surprised um, at how well the two of them eventually got on? And... Um, without knowing your father or without Mar- knowing Martin McGuinness and hearing his conversations, but like potentially they were genuinely good friends and, you know, there was phone calls on a regular basis and, you know, there was real, con- you know, empathy there. Um, was that a surprise to you? Well, like if you told me, I came here in 91, and that was, uh, was it 2006 or 2007 that took office. Um, if you told me in 91 <laughs> that in that, and, a, and not a great, it's not really a great many years, but if you told me some down, time down the line that that would have happened, I would have said, you know, no, it's impossible. But then, <laughs> so the old line from the old lot old hymn springs, the man God moves in mysterious ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, and he certainly did there, but it was, it was, it was good to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm assuming you, you met Martin McGuinness on many occasions yourself. Um, what was your impression of Martin, Kelly? Well, I, I met him briefly at the, at the funeral of a of a press photographer, which he was a mutual mutual friend uh, that, that we had. And uh, then I met him the next time I met him. I think it was at a, an award ceremony. He and my father were given an award at Hillsborough House. But the thing I remember most is the day after my father died, he was the first man to visit the house when my dad died. Martin was. Um, he was the first man, yep. I made phone calls from others. Um, my, my mother had a phone call from Jerry Adams mm-hmm. the day after my dad died, which we've often mentioned in conversation. Mm-hmm. And um, it was evident, you know, when, when 
Martin McGuinness visited the family home. Obviously, genuine sympathy, and you know, for the family, and we we appreciated it, and it's something really that's that's etched in our minds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It will stay there all our days. Mm-hmm. Kyle, were you and your family surprised in the nature? Your father was, I, I guess, replaced in both the organisations he founded, the DUP and the Free Presbyterian Church. I just missed that, the, the way you framed the question at the beginning. Is, uh, were, were you and your family surprised in the nature and how your father was replaced in both the organisations that he founded, namely being the DUP and the Free Presbyterian Church? Oh yes, we were surprised and, and, and hurt by it, but uh, I remember my dad talking to him about it. He said, look, he, he never he never let himself, you know, drift off into hatred for the people. He was surprised. I think he was hurt too, but at the end of the day, he just he just left it in the hands of the good Lord and he, he got on with the rest of his days, you know, and which taught us a lesson that still it's still from time to time the memory of those things hurt but you know you can't you can't keep breaking over old ground all the time you know? no certainly not Kyle I suppose some people would suggest that potentially the reason why he was removed and I suppose stick with that word is because yeah. of the nature of the relationship he formed with Martin McGuinness do you think there is any truth in that? Well, I can't speak from the, from the DUP point of view. Um, so I, I, you know, but I, I think I, I think they uh, some men in religion thought that it was a it was a compromise too far. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's taking taking office. Although the, this governing synod, or presbytery, the Free Presbyterian Church, did at their their meeting where he stood back. Uh, from leadership, they, they did acknowledge verbally, at least, the legitimacy of the storm establishment. Mm-hmm. But they felt that it would be better. It was a compromise, maybe, for him to go uh, and, and sit on car and take office. Mm-hmm. But he, he couldn't really, after after getting the thing to where it was mm-hmm. and come terms, you know, he can't really abandon it either. I mean, that would be yeah. that would be like the kind of dereliction of duty. I thought it would have been far better uh, had they. Had, had he been able to finish his four years um, in office, three or four years, whatever the length of office is, if he had the chance to finish that uh, with Martin McGuinness, they could have laid, already laid a good foundation, but it could have been so much stronger. Mm-hmm. You know? um, but however, that's, 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 yeah, that's yeah. Well, it's not always that easy. Mm-hmm. Kyle, what would a shared Ireland look like to you? What would what, you know, your vision in the next 10, 20 years, what would a shared Ireland look like if there was going to be one? I don't know. I know what I would like Ireland to look like. We'll go on ahead. We'll, like, go, we'll go with this version. I, I would like Ireland united under the gospel, the same gospel that St. Patrick preached. And um, when he came to the Emerald Isle at the call of God's, Whenever the year was, when he came, I'd like it. I'd like it. The whole of the island. Uh, I'm not really for political union, but I, I, I would like to see the whole island united under the power of the Christian gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I think if Ireland, North and South, can get back to Patrick's God and Patrick's gospel, mm-hmm. I think the seeds of a, a very happy 
and prosperous future could be shown both politically and religiously. Do you think, Kyle, regardless of religious, um, what religion maybe one chooses to practice, do you think religion is as buoyant in 2020 as it was in 1970? Uh, um, you mean in Ireland or generally? Um, well, I suppose two parts, in Ireland first of all and maybe then generally. I, I don't, well, I don't think it is, you know. I don't think it is. I mean, in comparative peace times, I think people tend to think, well, you know, that they have a lot of what they were looking for. We've got some measure of peace, and therefore the, <laughs> the Lord is no longer useful until there's another crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a general indifference, and of course, with increasing secularism, you know, um, and there's a, not a, a considerable amount of indifference amongst Christians and professing professing believers. I find that, you know, in, in Britain as well as in Northern Ireland, and religion is not as strong as it used to be. It seems to have lost. Evangelical Christianity seems to have lost its cutting edge everywhere. Why, why do you think this is, Kev? Well, it's, I think it's a very simple reason. I think people learn to get too comfortable uh what, what they call it, forget that they need them for the easy times, let's put it as well as for the difficult times. And it's almost as God as, this, as, a, as a means to an end. People begin to view him as that. And so when the end is reached, the means are no longer needed, you see. Mm-hmm. Um, and people people drift, not, not necessarily deliberately, but people can drift over a period of time and get to the place where they feel they've got everything that they need. So the Lord doesn't any longer figure in the equation. Do you, do you think we we live in a very fast-paced world nowadays where technology and everything is expected at the flick of a switch or the click of a button and we've kind of lost what really matters in in in, in our lives? I think I think that's true. The faster you live, I mean, these conveniences are all great and we all, we all enjoy them. It's a great way of keeping in touch, modern media and the rest, but... The faster life goes, the quicker we want to live it. And then you're, you're running that fast. You can hardly slow down down to have time to think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe one of the side blessings. Well, not a blessing, really. COVID's not a blessing. But, you know, one of the spin-offs of, of having spent more time at home is mm-hmm. we tend to take it easier. Sometimes we live life far too fast. We haven't got time for people sometimes, never mind our maker. That's right. Okay, Kyle, um, moving back into <clears throat> kind of... Um, the political sphere here, uh, do you think Brexit has weakened or will weaken um, NI's position within the UK? Oh, I think I think it is. It certainly hasn't strengthened it, that's for sure, and it hasn't <laughs> kept the status quo. Well, 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 I suppose if you think it certainly hasn't strengthened it, you know, and, and of course you, you can only speak for yourself, so I accept that you can't speak for the DUP or any political party because, you know, you're a minister. But, you know, just looking from an outsider in then, you would have a closer insight into the DUP's thinking than I would. Why were the DUP, like, did they not see this coming down the road? You know, because it clearly, I think everyone accepts that now, even yourself, that it has certainly weakened it. Well, I suppose nobody can nobody can really see the future perfectly. I mean, we would all be we can all be wise with hindsight. But mm. just going back to the, the original question, I think that uh, 
I think it certainly weakened the union. That's that's my view. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think unionists would have weakened the union intentionally. That's, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah, I, I think, suppose. Um, I think the way I think the way the British government has handled things. I mean, it, it really, it really, without any exaggeration, the whole thing's been symbolic. It has been, and and again, that isn't you know me. Of course, I would say that, but I'm delighted to hear you say it because you know from from just even the casual observer, you know, it really has been you know it has been one farce lurching to the to another on a on a constant basis, like. Oh, it has, and I mean, you know, the texts they said there's not there's not going to be a board in the RIC, and I think probably that there is, you know. I mean, that is, it hasn't really, I don't think it's helped the stability in, in, in Ireland, north or south either. I don't yeah. think it's really well, well, it you, certainly hasn't helped the union. Yeah, it, it, it hasn't helped the stability for the ordinary man and woman on the street because, you know, on certain day, then people speculate, and and when you're speculating, you're guessing. And when you're guessing, you're you're not aware of the facts. And people aren't aware exactly how this is going to have an impact on their day to day lives, whether it be financially, the food that they may be imported, um, and having to eat. Um, you know, there there's a raft of 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 potential, um, stumbling blocks. You know, where we we still don't know. You know, is our life going to be better or worse? You know. Oh, that, that's right, and it's just a, it's a pity that uh, I, I, I wouldn't, I would lay the blame really with Britain, because Britain was the one that uh, the British Parliament and London, they were the ones that uh, decided on the referendum. Now, personally, I would rather be out of Europe. I just don't, I just would rather be out of Europe. But the way this Brexit has, has the way they've handled Brexit, mm-hmm. they might as well not have started in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, sure, we have Tony Blair to thank for that. Or, sorry, um, we, we have got um, David Cameron to thank for that, I meant to say. Yeah, that's a funny word. It was just in a, in a, in a, a question, you know, wasn't it? And they, you know, it's, I was surprised, actually, that they didn't they didn't put a, a, a professional figure on it. It had to be, like, 60% or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was just a simple majority, and I suppose there's lots of votes in the country that are simple majorities, but... Had, had there been a greater, had people got behind it with a greater momentum, it might have made the whole thing easier. But mm-hmm. it's just been, just you don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next. It's a guessing game with, with the way the present administration of mm-hmm. London has handled it. Yeah. I, I see, I seen a wee quote from yourself and your brother Ian that you stated a few years back, Kyle, that you believe the Republic of Ireland will follow the UK out of the EU. Do you still believe that will be the case? I think that might have been my brother said. I know it was in the same article that we... Um, exactly. I pu- I pulled it out of an article that both of you gave correct. That's right. I... Oh, I don't know. I, 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 I think if other countries contemplate leaving or leaving, I think the whole thing will will collapse. It certainly won't remain as it, as it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and I, you know I, I, I think it's, 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 like, it's like the image... Daniel's vision with the feet of iron and feet of clay. It's very hard to hold those two things together. They'll pull away, you know. You know, the more the more people talk about leaving, the more likelihood is that some other countries may leave. And mm-hmm. It's a bit like it's a bit like Scotland looking to leave the UK and and potentially potentially uh, the north of Ireland as well. <laughs> well, I mean, 
Europe can have us, it could end up with as many splits as a gymnast. <laughs> it could, it could. Um, have you been surprised, Kyle, by the EU's steadfast support for the Republic of Ireland throughout these Brexit negotiations? Not, not really. No. You, I don't think it would have been. I think it would have surprised me about that. You know? You're you're not a lover of the of the Europe, I I, I guess. No, I don't. I'm not not really. Right. No. You're, yourself and Ian are twins, Kyle, as I mentioned in the introduction. Are you similar, like most twins? You know, um, or I'm assuming you're you're close as brothers. Leaving. Well, we're very close, as, very close as brothers. Yes. Yeah. Um. You you don't you you don't have any any of these um if he gets a knock on his left arm that you feel it too like you hear some oh, twins. <laughs> no no we we often give our self a knock on the arm. <laughs> That's the only time we felt mutual pain. <laughs> yes yes. Um, Ian, I suppose uh, I'm trying to put this in the best way possible. Uh, Kyle, Ian has made the headlines a few times in the last few years. Would you say you've been there for him, either to advise him, encourage him, or to even give out to him? <laughs> well, I've been I've been there really to encourage him. I don't uh, I don't want to I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to criticise him, but um, I just I try to encourage him. You know. Yeah. Uh, as best I can, and I remember, I have to remember, but you know, yeah. But for the grace of God, go I. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, hey, listen, we're we're all human. There's um, yeah. we, we all make mistakes. There's no doubt of that. So, so you you have got a, a a close brotherly, leaving the twin aspect of to the one side. You've got a close bond with with Ian, obviously. Oh, I do. Oh, I do indeed. I and mean, I go down when I can down to London to see him there. You mm-hmm. know, and um, meet him when I'm back home. Mm-hmm. So and on the phone as well, we talk. Mm-hmm. So, very yeah. good, very good. Kyle, again, obviously, I, I I don't mean to put words in your mouth because, as we stated and you stated that you know you can't speak for the DUP, but I suppose that your father was the founding member of it. How would you assess the direction the DUP has taken since the days that your father led the party? Well, I think I mean anybody would say it's taken. Um, a different direction, um, perhaps in some ways that, that he would have taken it in. Um, I think, I guess, there's a more open view on on moral issues, at least on maybe on some moral issues. Not not generally within the DUP, but within some sections of it, mm-hmm. be they be they small sections or whatever. I think there's a, a different approach there, a different attitude there. How that will work itself out in time, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, it is different. And parties do develop. They develop in different ways. You know, they're not always developing the way that um, the original founders would have them go. But mm-hmm. um, I, don't, I don't think generally, in, in general, you know, unionism has been as strong as it could have been. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, uh, I think if, they, if there was the same, you know, it, you don't always get two leaders the same. That's that's the thing, and, and you can't get carbon copies on leadership. Mm-hmm. But um, I think if you if you if a party uh, is known for certain things and takes a stand on certain things, they might not be like those distinctives might not make it like, but like, but there's a kind of attraction about the distinctives. Once those distinctives go, you know that is in a sense that is lost one of its cutting edges. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, certainly. Um. What was your impression of um, Edwin Putz's recent comments that COVID p- 
potentially could affect nationalist areas of a scale of six to one over um, unionist areas? Well, I don't, th- I don't think there were any statistics produced. No, I, I, I think he was light on the stats side of the, his argument. Yes, I don't think there was anything there to flesh it out. And I, 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 I think, um, I think, I think it was unwise, really. Yeah, I, I, I guess now. And by the way, I've obviously asked you about Edwin there. Now I accept that that people from all political parties make unwise statements at times. It's just that yeah. Edwin made that. Um, it's fresh in everybody's mind. But you know, potentially, uh, Kyle, is that another example? Of where poor leadership of people in in uh, and I suppose positions of power are are sending out the wrong message to our youth. Yeah, however, however it's read or presented, people will people will read it for take it at face value. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was it. Seemed it, 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 it just seemed to be what he exactly what he says. You know, and. Um, that could be hurtful because I, if I, from my point of view, I'd put myself there and say, if that, if um, if I, if somebody said that, if somebody from the Nationalist Republicans side said that about me as a unionist or mm. my community, yeah. uh, you know, put it the other way, I wouldn't like it. Yeah, I wouldn't because it wouldn't be right. And and um, disease has no respect of persons. It's, it hasn't any political or religious loyalty. No, no, no. I think I think that was the most, um, you know, leaving aside the potential sectarian element of it, you know, like on, on a pure physics uh, side of things, like, you know, we're talking about a worldwide pandemic here, but isn't it wonderful? There's always people in our beautiful wee country here that can always um, bring everything back <laughs> back to back to a place where we hope we have left behind, and as I say, not alone, Edwin. There's other people, obviously, that that have a, a knack for doing this as well. Oh, that, and there's politicians everywhere make mistakes, and and um, the same in Britain. You could, you don't have to look too hard. Yeah, the same. yeah. They're everywhere, but um, you know what? That that I I think for all the mistakes and things that wrong that have been that, that uh, political parties do, I I think there's still a great. I think there's still the potential that Northern Ireland could move forward. And my, my view is simple. I think Northern Ireland's problems are best solved within Northern Ireland. Um, and I think once they folk have a will um, there to do it, that it, it can come back to better days again. Mm-hmm. Um, nearly finished, uh, Kyle, and thank you for giving up um, nearly an hour of your time so far. Um, one of the last questions that I would like to just pose to you, um, seeing the the nature of your profession mm-hmm. in the last few days the uh, the pope recently welcomed same sex relationships and um how does i suppose coming from from your um ba- religious background what's your thoughts on that statement well <laughs> you might find as you compare the statements that come from different popes in the history of the catholic church we might find other popes claiming the same degree of infallibility as, as the present pope to say the very opposite mm-hmm. um, to what he had said. So uh, people uh, who know their history, the history of the, of the Roman Catholic Church and the papacy, might find themselves a bit nonplussed by the you know the contradiction between various popes on, on, on issues. Mm-hmm. But 
aside from all of that, um, from um, a Protestant perspective, you know, from my perspective, I um, we don't I don't believe in discriminating against people um, because of the, the the lifestyle that they have, but I still at the same time uh, believe in the sanctity of of Christian marriage, and um, I still believe and still have the conservative biblical view that marriage is between man and a woman, and I don't think that uh, normalizing other relationships as if they were the same. Um, I don't. I think above all, whether people see this or not, many won't see it, many won't choose to see it. But um, you know, whether whether people like it or not, you can't you can't offend your maker like that and expect favor from them. You know. And when you say but, when you say offend your maker, what what exactly do you mean by that? Offend them, Kel? Okay. Well, if 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 um, God has made man and woman in His own image and He's brought them together in sacred union, and he hasn't sanctioned any other sacred union but that by way of marriage, then uh, that any other union, such as the, the Pope has proposed, um, that, that really flies in the face of what God has already ordained. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I noticed in, 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 one, in a remark you made there is that you, you used the words, if you choose that, lifestyle. So, yes. so the people um, that choose to um, participate in a same-sex relationship, yeah. you would be, I'm assuming, would be saying that's a lifestyle choice as opposed to that is the way that God created them in this world. Is that correct? Yeah, well, a lifestyle choice or a lifestyle practice. I know that there are folk that will say that they didn't choose to be this way. Okay, but that I'll take that, but at the same time, the the good people will practice things. You mm -hmm. see, when 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 you say you'll take that, uh, as in you know, do you accept that that people God created people brought them into this world, and they have no choice over their sexuality? Would you accept that? No, I I think people do have a choice about what they do. You know, I mean. When, when God originally made man, just, just as, this is just really a purely scriptural argument, but um, when God created man in his image, he created him with, um, under certain, gave him certain orders, commands, and, and created him uh, in his sight, created him a sinless man. Man chose to go his own direction, and with all, we're all the recipients of a fallen human nature because of what our first parents did. Um, and no, I could, you could, how many, how many, I mean, how far will you take it? I could say I was born with an inclination to steal. That's, you know, I can't help it. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not, you know, I mean, sexual lifestyles, I'm saying it's different, not saying it's the same as stealing, but, you know, how far do you take it? I may have an inclination, or I may feel tempted to do something. I can't say because I have a weakness towards that and I'm tempted by it, that therefore I can't help it and, you know, Therefore, I shouldn't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Do you do you accept, Kyle, that God loves all His children regardless of their sexual orientation or their sexual, I suppose, using your words, lifestyle? Yeah, yes, I do believe that, and the reason why I believe that is because of what I read in the Bible. Well, um, well, well, then, given that, Kyle, should uh -huh. should all God's children then 
not be treated equally while on this earth by 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 the laws that we have, um, namely, I suppose, in this subject that we're talking about, um, you know, if if people of a same sex relationship can can have it can have their union uh, blessed by a church. Well, when I say I believe that God loves all those that He's created, I, I what I meant by that was he, he sent His Son to die on the cross, and the purpose for that was not to obviously was not to give people the choice of how they live, but to set them free to live for Him. I mean, if the purpose of the gospel and the purpose of the cross and the purpose of God's revelation in Christ is to give people, you know, the freedom to do as they please and live as they please. And, and whatever lifestyle it may be, you know, it's it just makes a it, it turns the gospel on its head really. Mm-hmm. So I, when I say God loves all His children, I mean it in this way that He loved them enough to come in human form to die on the cross mm-hmm. to take the punishment for the sinner, mm-hmm. regardless of what a sin is. I mean, um, I think the worst sin of all is the sin of indifference, or not the sin of indifference, the sin of pride, because pride really was the original sin. That was the thing that brought. Uh, Lucifer down and, and cast him down to hell. So religious pride is the worst thing. Mm-hmm. But Christ died on the cross um, to save the homosexual from his sin and to save the religiously proud man from his sin and to save every sinner that would accept him from their sin. And that's what I mean by the love of God, you know, about God loving all his children. He died mm-hmm. for sinners regardless of what they, what they did or what they've done. Just one last question that just sprung to my mind there, Kyle, on this subject. Um, I'm assuming you would accept um, that there is potentially people um, within the Free Presbyterian Church, your ministry, that that would um, practice a same-sex relationship. What What would you say to them people then? Well, I would say this. I don't, I don't know of any that do, but I don't discount the possibility. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm just thinking by, by numbers, there's bound to be yeah. just, that's all. Oh, that, that, that's right. We can't ignore that. The, the idea that uh, free Presbyterians are somehow exempt yes. from temptation <laughs> and stuff just because they're free Presbyterians. Yeah. I mean, they have to dismiss that as a load of hogwash. Yeah. You know, the people are the same. Anybody can be tempted to do anything. Uh-huh. Even the things which you might hold might repudiate one day. Uh-huh. Who knows? You know, who knows the next day? So, so but what? You know, what would you say to uh, members of your congregation then that potentially, um, you know, uh, again, I'm using your words here, choose this lifestyle? Well, I would try and show them first of all. If I have had an opportunity to speak to them personally, I would speak to them personally, but not in front of anybody else, because it's a too sensitive, it's too sensitive issue. I would try to have time apart with them privately and talk with them privately, mm-hmm. and show them, show them from. If you just look at it from the perspective through the through the light of the cross, judge it in the light of the cross, and I think if a person looks at something in the light of the cross and what the cross means, then things will come. Will, will be seen in far, far clearer light than ever. The cross, for me, the cross is the be-all and end-all. Mm-hmm. That's the thing by which I'm judged and discerned, and it's the thing by which, you know, we're all discerned, really. Kyle, mm-hmm. last question, and we always ask this question to all our guests, and it's meant to be 
well, maybe potentially a more lighthearted question, but yeah. um, you, you can answer it, obviously, in any way you choose to do so. Um, if you could invite three people, either alive or dead, to your fictional dinner party, who would these three people be and why? Well, describing family members that I've lost. Um, well, I would, obviously, I would obviously want my dad there, but you're, I'm presuming you're asking aside from family. Well, 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 yeah. You Normally, even family would be a given, we'll take it, yes. Yeah, okay, right. Ah, I have never been asked that question. One person I think I would like to have there uh, would be Martin Luther. Okay, a quite popular um, answer. Because um, I think, well... I mean, he had his feet of clay, of course, like anybody else. But um, I heard it say that if you had anybody you wanted to talk, this was somebody else's quote, that if I wanted to have fun with anybody at dinner time, and it was somebody from the Reformation period, I wouldn't invite John Calvin. This commentator said <laughs> I'd invite Martin Luther because at least you could laugh with Martin yeah, Luther. Yes. I don't know if that's too harsh on Calvin, but, but Luther did say once, he said, if there's no laughter in heaven, I don't want to go there. But hey, isn't it very true? Mm-hmm. It is. So uh, Martin Luther would be one. So he's your um, he's your number one, okay? Well, he's at least one. I don't know. Uh, two others. Who would who could I have? One other man, an English man. I would love to have there. Uh, he's a kind of hero of mine. Is is John Wycliffe? Okay. The Bible translator. Oh, okay, right. I was going to ask you, educate me about him, but you 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 kind of have a Bible yeah. translator, okay? He was the first man to get the English Bible and uh, the Bible uh, translated in full into English. The first uh, full copy of the scriptures in English. And I like him because despite all he went through um, and despite all his suffering, you could say about him that he, uh, while he was very strong on his view on on the papacy and the rest, he did he dealt with issues Mm -hmm. um, and he played he played he played the ball rather than the man. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And just for his greatness and his stickability and his learning and his political outlook as well. Mm-hmm. If you read some of the things he said politically, it could, you know, it could be relevant for today. So I'd have Luther and Wycliffe. Um, who the third person? No, 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 I'm going to potentially and hopefully yeah. do do you a wee favour here before you give me your last name. Um, you you could run into some criticism if you don't invite a female to this dinner party. So bear that in mind. <laughs> Well, there you go. Well, seeing seeing Wycliffe didn't have a wife, I'd I'd, I'd invite uh, I'd invite uh, uh, Luther's wife, Katie Katie Luther, for the simple re- for the simple reason she was the power behind the throne. She could keep him in order. Oh, she right. And she was a good organizer as well, a right. brilliant organizer. Okay, very so, good. And a great woman, a great woman of faith as well. So. If I had four spaces, I'd invite another woman, another lady to the table. So. Go, on, go, on, go on ahead. We'll, we'll give you. We'll give you one more. One more. <laughs> to say. Now, 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 I can't think for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I think Sorry, I thought you had one in mind. No, I'll stick with the three. I'll stick I've with got. the I'll three. Come up with one later. <laughs> well, listen, Kyle Paisley. On that note. Um, First of all, I thank you genuinely do for your hour of time today because I, I know you're a busy uh, man. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. We covered a, a wide range of subjects there and um, maybe in six months' time or a year we'll maybe have another conversation to see how life has moved on from this one. Um, yes, 
So, so Kyle, listen, genuinely, um, from the shared Ireland team and all our listeners, thank you very much. And if I could just um, use this opportunity to, um, I suppose, say to everyone, uh, try and keep safe under these strange times that we're living in with COVID and um, try and practice social distancing and try and be responsible. And I leave the last word with yourself, Kyle, if you have anything else to say. Well, yes, I just... Um just think, um, just back up what you've said yourself. And, uh, you know, when, when, when there's political uh, crisis going on, like COVID and all the rest of it, it's very easy, and we all do it, I suppose. And I've done it like anybody else has done it. Uh, sometimes we act like armchair generals and say, this could be done better, that could be done better, this could mm-hmm. be done better. But I think for the political leadership in, the, in Northern Ireland, my home country, in the Republic of Ireland, for England, Scotland and Wales, I think um, they need the patience of the people and the prayers of the people and the backing of the people to see the thing through. Yeah, well said. Okay, Kel, pleasure speaking to you. And um, if you like this podcast, folks, please leave a wee comment and a retweet would be appreciated. Thank you very much. Stay tuned for our next one. Bye-bye.